I got something in the mail today. What'd you get in the mail today? So because I got a new computer and I feel like it's going to last me a while and everything, I decided I was going to be that chick who put stickers on it because I want to have some fun in my life, Colton, because sometimes the world is a dark and dreary place and you just need to put a sticker on something. So I ordered this sticker and it's Lynn Beifong just going, <laughs> what, what the what the actual uh and it's amazing and i love it and the etsy shop owner sent another extra one which is momo in a little halloween costume so cute momo is a little ghost what was the name of the etsy shop um i will hold on Hold, please. They were so amazing, and it came so fast. Is this the same Etsy shop that you got me the Iro sticker from? No, it's not, actually. This one is Creation by Carson, and it came super quick, and I'm super excited about Lynn Bacon. Um, The one I got you an Iro sticker from Cloud and Castles when we first when we first got our show off the air, off the off the ground and on the air. Um, yeah, yeah, it was. I really like that sticker. But yeah, but if <laughs> if anybody, I've been looking just for like a bunch of little avatar stickers, and then I also got another sticker that is D and D related, and it says you can certainly try. Nice. <laughs> and that one came with a little extra holographic D twenty sticker, so I put that on my computer already. But I figure. If I put the Lin Beifong one in one corner and then I put the you can certainly try, it looks like she's tossing the dice up in the air and say, you can certainly try. <laughs> so I'm going a little mix and match there. But it's exciting. And that was my joy today. This is my Lin Beifong sticker. I'm so That's excited. It's a really cute sticker. We're going we're gonna to have to put pictures of all of these and links in the yeah. show notes. And everyone can go and buy their own cute Lin Beifong sticker. Yeah. Or, so cute. or their own cute Uncle Iroh stickers. He's, <laughs> he's so happy to drink the tea. Drinking tea, and he has the little pie. Sh- he has the white lotus tile behind him. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah. Oh. It was it was very apropos. When I have when one I more sticker that I'm waiting for, it hasn't oh. shipped yet. It's from a different. It's from a different one. But when it comes, I will be so excited. It's Azula, and she says it says, "Don't flatter yourself." Underneath. So I hope that one works out. <laughs> Water. Earth. Fire. Air. Long ago, the four nations lived together in harmony. Then, everything changed when the Fire Nation attacked. Only the Avatar, master of all four elements, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. A hundred years passed and my brother and I discovered the new Avatar, an airbender named Aang. And although his airbending skills are great, he has a lot to learn before he's ready to save anyone. But I believe Aang can save the world. Hello and welcome to the Pie Show. I'm your host, Kelly. And I'm Colton. And this week we are talking about Chapter 15, Bato of the Water Tribe. This week, Aang acts childish during a reunion between Sokka, Katara, and a longtime friend. Fearing that Sokka and Katara will desert him, Aang betrays them. Dun dun dun. <laughs> it's it's I gotta say, the summer is pretty harsh on Aang. I mean maybe I was harsh on Aang watching the episode, but for a bit there. Yeah. Yeah. For a bit there, I think he kind of deserves it. I think it's really interesting about, like, acts childish. Well, he's a child, so. <laughs> he is, in fact, a child. I like this episode. I think this episode is kind of different from a lot of the stuff we've been getting lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in taking my notes this week, you know, the last, not last week, but the, the two before that, there were a lot of I wasn't really taking notes on things happening, like specific events of those episodes. I was taking more notes on like, here is a thing about this character that, you know, we can talk about around this episode, but it's not like a specific event here. 
But this episode, I feel like all of my notes were detail-oriented, like picking up on, you know, little things that they would flash on screen or, or music cues in the background here and there. Yeah, I found myself drawn to, honestly, a lot of the new characters and new creatures more this episode than seeing as much development from our characters that we're used to. I caught some things, but again, it's mostly just kind of in the moment uh, and not the big, you know, character story-wise things that we've we've had previously, especially with like Blue Spirit and the Storm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you on that. It's it's a fun one, though. Yeah. I did feel a little bamboozled almost by the recap this week. Okay, so the recap, I'm like, it's Katara's story. We're going back. This is Katara's story. That's what I felt. Yeah, I felt the same way. And, and it was definitely a different story than they told with Katara the last time they made a recap all about her. Mm-hmm. Because, well, what was that? The waterbending scroll, I think? Yes. Where it was it was a fully Katara focused recap, but everything was about like her journey as a bender. Mm-hmm. This week it was more I felt like it was more her connection to her family. Yeah. It brought back some of the history to remind you of like where they came from because it has been now fifteen chapters since the since being in the village. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know about to you, but to me she felt kind of secondary this episode. Like you know, not that she's not a main character, but it felt more like this was a Sokka and Aang story. It did. But I think what's interesting about having the recap, it it's a Katara telling. It goes back to uh, what you and I talked about really early on, which is this whole story is Katara telling the story. And if you need a narrator moment for a recap, I think Katara is probably the best fit. I can see that, but I think... I see that at this point, mostly because I don't know that the recap would would have the same effect and would have that same effect as powerfully as it does if it were Sokka's perspective. Because I think a lot of the moments that we've had with Sokka that you would want to use in this week's recap are just, they don't carry as much emotional weight. I think also the viewer is comfortable seeing through Katara's eyes more like the people that you're comfortable kind of viewing through the lens of are Aang and Katara yeah that's fair so uh you don't you don't necessarily see through Sokka's eyes as much you see things that happen to him yeah or choices that he makes but you don't see through his eyes and then there's this week there's this week where we get to there is some strong Sokka moments. Yeah, yeah. That that his whole like master <laughs> tracker in the beginning. All I thought was there was a mighty duel of like <laughs> Prince Humperdinck with like the spin. Like that's what I was seeing. I didn't make that connection, but yes, I see it. <laughs> I see it so much right now. <laughs> I want to go and edit those two scenes with each other's dialogue. Like seriously, like that he's like he's like, and then he went over here. This is a water tribe. See, this is scorched. That means he must have fought the firebenders that way. It's it's all <laughs> While he's doing all of that, did you notice the music? No, what was the music? So it's it's not music that we hear very often, but mm-hmm. it's music we've heard before. The first time we hear this track, it's like very uh drum heavy mm-hmm. is when Sokka is giving his briefing and his training to the kids <gasps> at the Southern Water Tribe. And we've heard it a couple times since. It plays in the show basically whenever Sokka is being, like, the commander. Aww! And okay. the tactician, and, like, you know, the masterful mind that he is. I love that. And they give it underneath this entire scene. <gasps> oh! Oh, I love that. From the second he notices the First piece of evidence all the way until he's like, and then the trail stopped. Like it's just do 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 the whole thing. That's beautiful. Keep your ears peeled. When you hear those drums, Sokka's Sokka's being smart. And like he is not just being smart, but like he is an authority figure to those around him. 
That is such a cool. Oh my God. That is such a good pickup. My mind is blown. Colton, we have a lot of new characters this episode. What did you think of Bato? Uh, he feels like a really awesome uncle. Yeah. You know what? Like, he's not like a straight father figure, but he feels like the uncle you see like a couple times a year, and it's always like a really great experience. I like him. I honestly did not remember Bato. <laughs> I remember the first time I saw the episode, I kept waiting for, like, the other shoe to drop or something. Mm, Like, like he's a traitor or something like that. He's a traitor, he's a deserter, just something. He's not really, like, he doesn't really have the, the Southern Water Tribe's interest at heart. But it didn't happen, and this whole rewatch, like, I completely forgot that this episode goes the way it does, and I kept like I felt the same expecting way. it. Yeah. yeah. It's so funny. Cause I, I, I did have that same feeling as well. Um, like we haven't been able to trust adult figures in their lives up until then. So why should we trust this one? Um, but it's kind of cool that there is someone who trusts who they can trust and who respects their journey. Yeah. Who says, no, that is your choice. Like, it do- doesn't say, you know, that's too dangerous for you kids. You need to come with me. It says, okay, I'm not going to interfere. Let me know if you need anything. It doesn't try to, like, force their way into the group and say, oh, well, I'll protect you or anything. Let's them be independent, which is pretty cool. Yeah. After taking them in for as long as they want, he's like, yeah, I'm here. Come, have some soup. Yeah. The bald kid doesn't like it, but I know you guys love it. <laughs> it's funny. So on a rewatch perspective, first of all, I, I, like I said, I didn't really remember Bato, but it also really felt kind of like a watered down version of their dad, of Hakoda, because I'm more familiar with Hakoda. A watered down version? Hey! I'm <laughs> sorry. I didn't yeah. do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, he does. But like, I think that's why I get uncle vibes from him yeah it was like a let me let us dip our toes into what we might make their father and then just see what kind of sticks and what doesn't and then when we eventually if we meet their father we have ideas dip our toes in you have to stop with these water puns (laughs) you don't even realize it do you no i don't (laughs) (laughs) seriously there's so many puns i feel like i'm drowning I'll wash it all away, and we're going to move on to the next topic. Bato's not the only new character we get this week. <laughs> no, he is not. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. June. June might be one of my favorite characters on the whole show. She makes such an impact in this show with not many, like, not many episodes, but just, I remember June mm-hmm. so vividly. And I think part of that is she's an impact to the audience, but she's also an impact to the characters. Yes. She's so cool. From the moment she steps on screen, Iroh is just like, hi. Hi. Hi, pretty lady. I would like to be near you. <laughs> and Zuko is like, who do you think you are? As soon as she meets everyone else, they have their own reactions that are all over the spectrum. Like, no matter what your take on June is, there is a character that you can empathize with. Mm. Mm. For me, it's Iroh. She creates a strong reaction to the characters around there. She is, um, yeah, she is, I don't even know, I don't even have the words for her. But she's, she's so cool, and I love her, um... I don't care energy, but she's got her job. She's got her own thing. And when we open on her in the tavern, we see her arm wrestling with a character from Street Fighter. Did you pick up on that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I spent much of my childhood playing Street Fighter. (laughs) 
There's even supposedly another character from Street Fighter in the background of the tavern scene, too. Who's in the background? Or who looks like. Let's see. Um, I I did not play Street Fighter as much. I just was around a lot of people who played it. Um, no momento. So there's Ryu. In the same scene, there is a woman in the background who looks somewhat like Jin. Hmm. I don't think I noticed that. Yeah. So thought that was pretty cool. But just she's and she wins. She wins. It's she very honestly. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, like, that's what I'm thinking about watching this scene with with Marion in the tavern going, yes. you know, playing the drinking game in Nepal. Very much so. I got that with a mix of like the way everyone was admiring her a little bit of like Gaston. <laughs> <laughs> I think I respect her too much to see Gaston. <laughs> no, I, I, I respect her in a way that I think we should sing her praises <laughs> and about her achievements. And something I learned today about the actress who voices June, Jennifer Hale. Wait, wait. You didn't recognize Jennifer Hale's voice right away? It sounded familiar. But the thing that really hits me when I look at her bio is that she voices my girl, Kiyoshi. And I'm like, I should have known. <laughs> you love one voice actress. <laughs> One voice actress. She's just got this. She's got my Atla, you know, uh, bad women. I know in the past we've like rattled off a bunch of roles that some of the voice actors have had. I don't want to do that for Jennifer Hill because we have more episode to do. Yeah. Yeah. I just needed to point out Kiyoshi. <laughs> I'll link her filmography and her credits, but like she. If you have seen a thing that has voice actors in it, you have heard Jennifer <laughs> Hale's voice. <laughs> She's great. But I just needed to point out my girl Kiyoshi, and apparently I have a type. So <laughs> <laughs> that's what this is saying to me. I have a type. <laughs> Women who could step on your face and you thank them? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> me too. The girls in the city, they look so pretty. All right, Kelly, do you want to talk about baby Sokka? Because I know if I make you go too long without talking about baby Sokka, you'll just explode. <laughs> baby Sokka, he is all painted up the way that he was when the Fire Nation um, came for came for Aang. And he was ready to go off to battle with his dad and with Bato and with everyone. And I just, it gave me so much emotions. But the most beautiful thing that I love is him hearing, you know, being a man is knowing where you are needed the most. And those words, like, Sokka has lived those words. I mean, when Katara knew she had to go save Aang, he already had the boat packed to go rescue Aang from the Fire Nation. He knew where he needed to be. When the Fire Nation showed up, he wasn't out penguin sledding. He was preparing the village for attack. Mm-hmm. He knew where he needed to be. When uh, Jet goes to, sh to goes to flood a village, he knows where he needs to be in that village, getting people to safety, even if they are Fire Nation. When the Fire Nation shows up to the island and is going to wreck the town, he knows where he needs to be. Has just he has taken that to heart, and it has really that is a part of the major glue. For this group, um, I think especially we'll see going forward. I think when there are members of the group who fight with each other, Sokka is the one who has to figure out where they need to be and where he needs to be in between those arguments. So it's not just a physical place. It's an emotional place as well. And I think he's known that he needs to be the adult in the, gr in the group for them. And when they see B Bato... And all of them are so small in comparison. It just reminds you that these are children taking on this journey. Yeah. And not like they're not just physically smaller. Like Otto has stories and tales and he regales them all night and turns to Sokka and says, I'm so sorry. You must have stories, too. Why don't you like I got carried away? Why don't you share one? I will say super cute when they're like when they're like, ah, you have your father's wit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I'm like, that's just such a beautiful moment to like be like, all right, no, Hakoda is is the same way, is the same like bad puns. Like <laughs> you, you can feel in that moment that all the years that Bato has wanted to insult Hakoda's wit <laughs> and not been able to. Well, honestly, I picked up like a tinge, like as much as it was like a savage burn. I picked up a tinge of sadness from Bato in that too, of like, of like, I don't know where your dad is right now. I'm waiting for a map for him, waiting for a map for him. And I've kind of let him down. I'm here. I'm not out on the front trying to save the world. I'm here at a perfumery run by nuns. Yeah. And I, did they say it in the episode or did they just kind of lead us to believe what? Bato's Hakoda's right hand, right? I believe so. There, I, I, I believe that's, that's, the that's en- at least that's what the they imply. Yeah. That is very much, yeah. They were close enough that they had a lot of journeys together. They had a lot of stories. Um, yeah, so. Maybe he's not the right hand on the battlefield per se, but he's definitely a close friend. Mm-hmm. Do we ever see Bato again? You're the one that normally tracks that stuff. I know, I know. We That's do. Your job, Kelly. Not my, I've seen the show oh, once. Okay. <laughs> we do. I know. He just uh, I I I pay attention to Hakoda a bit more. Bato, we do see him. This is the only time we see him in book one. We see him once in book two, and then book three is where he pops in for some of the big battles. Mm. Oh, fun little fact about Bato is uh, he is the tallest of the Southern Water Tribe warriors seen. Well, that explains why our two kids here seem so small. (laughs) That does make more sense now. I do really love not only do they leave Sokka at home because he's young and too young to go out with them, they leave him with arguably the most important job protect the last waterbender of the southern water tribe yeah yeah that is a heavy burden yeah but i think what else are they supposed to do i'm not saying there's a better option but you know in baby Saka feels so dejected and so let down that he can't go off to fight but he's he has a more important role than anyone else in the Southern Water Tribe, except maybe Katara. I wonder at what point he realized how important it is to protect the last waterbender of the Southern Water Tribe. Like, at what what point? Do you think he's realized now? I think, honestly, he realized maybe a month or so before the iceberg cracked. Like, she'd been practicing waterbending a bit more, and I think it started to make him a bit more nervous of... Someone at some point is going to come for her. It's why, you know, the Fire Nation ships are off limits because, you know, there could be traps there. It's why he has built up a wall around the village. It's why he has his little out lookout. It's why he was working to train the other boys in the in the village. I think once Katara started to really come into her waterbending he started to realize this could attract attention and this could attract danger. I was thinking that if he realized that it was probably like that, that moment of realization was probably so closely linked to abandoning the realization and abandoning that one particular quest in favor of helping the avatar Mm -hmm. that it don't like there's, there's, it almost doesn't matter, and that's its own sort of tragedy, I think. Yeah, I think he's like, well, this quest outweighs what I was left with, and if my dad were here, I think he'd understand that, because what he said is, being a man is knowing where you're needed the most, and where I'm needed the most is protecting the Avatar, who's been missing for a hundred years, and could change this whole war whether he's the one who wins it specifically i don't know but he can change the momentum of the war yes i like that like you like this 12 year old child may not come in and like take down a whole fire nation army by himself and huzzah we've won we're no longer oppressed but he can tip the scales 
this could be enough to push it in our favor, to unite the other nations and stand strong. I want to go ice dodging. Ice dodging looks fun. Oh my God, that seems so terrifying to me. That would give me so much anxiety. I'm really happy that that is not a rite of passage for me as a person. (laughs) Oh my goodness. You have to have so much coordination and and foresight. and And you have to be one with your team and your vessel and the sea. Yeah. And I love, I love Sokka being thrown into it. But I think my favorite part about the ice dodging is he does the boomy think like a mad genius. And he knows the abilities of his team and he trusts them and he trusts their abilities. He has faith in their abilities. And Bato has not seen this. I mean, the last time he saw Katara, she was like, you know, up to his knee. Okay. She was tiny. But now here she is bending all the water underneath the boat to lift them over these waves of rocks while this other kid is shooting air into the sails. Like that is a coordinated attack that even Bato was like, nope, turn back. We should turn back. Like you've done it. You've done enough. You don't need to continue. And Sokka said, nope, I'm doing it. Shut down, sit up, sit down, shut up. And do it. You just looked at me when I did it. The last time we talked about timeline, we realized we've—it's only been a couple of weeks, maybe a month or two, right? Mm-hmm. Since they left. Yeah. So not only the you know the last time, like you said, Bato saw Katara; she was up to his knee. A couple of weeks ago, <laughs> Katara could hardly water bend a little, like, a bowl-size amount of water with a fish in it. Like, do a little water whip. Not even the water. Like, she had trouble in in episode one getting that one... One fish. One fish up out of the... It was an accomplishment for her. Yeah. And now she's lifting a ship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's lifting a ship over these perilous rocks, and I mean, he doesn't even have a concept of airbending. And how and how that's working, but also just Sokka's brilliance to combine them because he could have had both both Katara and Aang bend the water together. But he said, no, I'm going to split the difference. I'm going to use these together. And that is what's going to lift lift us to safety. Yeah. And and that's the thing, I think, more more than any of it, that is what throws off Bato because we know already that it is very common in this world to think with bending in mind. Mm-hmm. But it is very rare for anyone, bender or otherwise, to think with multiple element bending techniques in mind. Yes. Iroh yes. said it weeks ago. You know, you need to study all philosophies from all of the different elements to have, you know, that true sight, that that true deep wisdom. I'm not saying Saka studied everything, but he's seen too, and he's synthesizing that. And he can see the bigger picture. He's looking at the bigger picture and says, well, you know, this is this is the clearest way to get across. It's the most direct way. The only way out is through. Do we want to talk about Aang? And and the male? <laughs> I think you like that more than I like that. Well, I just... I, I feel bad for Aang this episode that he is such in the belief that his companions would leave him. I know he overhears half the conversation. That's like the typical thing that you do in a, in a TV show. You hear half the conversation and then they say the good things once you leave. It's but, so sitcom-y. It's so sitcommy. But I think at first I, I was I was like, come on, Aang, you gotta have a little more faith in them. But thinking about it more, Katara and Sokka have been separated from their father. They don't have parents. This is a parental figure. And they've been kind of an ice they weren't kind of in isolation in the village beforehand. They've now been the furthest from home they've ever been on the the longest journey they've ever been. And 
here is a sense of normalcy and they can be reunited with their father. They can be reunited with him and continue forward. And Aang does not have that option. Aang can't be reunited with Monkey Yatso. He can't be reunited with another air nomad. And I think a part of him thinks, if I ran into another monk tomorrow, would I just go? I would want to just go with them and just forget about this big, heavy journey that I have to take. And I think I can see that I can sympathize a bit more with Aang than I originally did. Because it's if he had the option to go with his family and leave this all behind, he would. Yeah. I really like your framing it around a a taste of normalcy. Because mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's really easy to empathize with the pain that comes with accepting that you can't return to normal. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there are there are times when the world changes and you can't go back to the way it was before, and that hurts, and mm-hmm. that is difficult to accept and it's easy to not accept it it's it's easy to fight against it and and to want to grasp at whatever bit and taste of normal you can but at the end of the day you just can't do that you have to move forward you have to accept it you have to keep going with the situation that you have with the situation and the information that you have, and you have to make the best of it under the new. And it's nice to have those moments of sitting there and having soup and hearing stories about your hearing stories about the old times and stuff like that. But you know, and as much as Sokka and Katara appreciate it and enjoy it, and really, um, it it gives them new life. It gives them new energy. And honestly, I see it give them more motivation for their journey and to be with Aang, and to show their dad, look, we're a part of this now, too. They don't have to, you know, physically go see him to do that. And they they do end up saying, oh, we're going to go find our father, but that's because they feel betrayed. And even then, it's not, you know, like going home. It's It's going to their father and saying, well, we've got the Avatar. He's out there. He's doing things. So I think I, think I can sympathize a bit more with Aang than I used to. Yeah, me too. So I think I can forgive the mail fraud this time. I mean, he he did open up someone else's mail. You can't do <laughs> yeah, that. He did. He did. You can't do that. And, like hide it from people. Like that's bad. But I understand where twelve-year-old Ang, who has lost everything and thinks he might be losing the only family he has ever come to know post iceberg. Um, I think I can understand where he's coming from. I can too. But don't mess with people's mail. Animal alert! So many new animals this week! So many animals. So many animals. Um, so let's see. There are also animals that are mentioned that I want to bring up that we never see. Like, I want to know what an Arctic hippo looks like, but we don't have anything for that. I looked it up. I'm guessing they're fuzzy. I would hope so. Kind of like a mammoth, but underwater. Well, no, 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 no. If it's underwater, it doesn't want to be fuzzy. Okay. If it's underwater, it wants to be, like, you know, big and blubbery. Okay. So, I don't know. If if it's living on the ice, it wants to be fuzzy. I'm just very curious about Arctic hippos, even though we don't learn about them going forward. But Arctic hippos were mentioned by Bato. Um, Also, in Bato's uh, little, like, cubbyhole, hidey-hole, igloo igloo room, uh, he has a regular bear pelt on the ground. Just a normal bear? Normal bear. Weird. Yeah. So, uh, mm, yeah. Yeah. I just, I noticed it and I was just like, that's okay. Okay. Um, we have ostrich horse. Is this the first time we see ostrich horses? I am not sure. Let these me become such a thing next season. I feel like we, I feel like we saw them before when Iroh was captured. Oh, we did. We also see Miyuki again. We see Miyuki. Oh my god. I I aspire <laughs> to that moment where, you know, Miyuki, did you get in trouble with the Fire Nation again? Again. What was the first time? 
That's what I want to know. I bet that's a good story. What was the first time that Miyuki upset the whole Fire Nation? Because I think that's me. I think I'm Miyuki. (laughs) You're definitely Miyuki. (laughs) Oh my god, Miyuki. Um, And we have the sheer shoe. The sheer shoe. Yes. I Let me tell you a little bit more about the sheer shoe. What? Is the sheer shoe, is it like an anteater? It is a combination of a giant anteater, a wolf, and a star-nosed mole. Okay, that explains the ugly snoot. Snout. Snoot. Snout. You boop it. You boop a snoot. Oh, you do boop a snoot. Okay, gotcha. I was like, I was like, is this a, is this a New York No, it's not thing? a regional thing. It's an internet thing. <laughs> I just had to be sure. <laughs> I'm hip. Um, but, uh, so the sheer shoe uses, uh, uses its nose much like a bloodhound uses its nose in the real world. Additionally, some species of mole, such as the European mole, are venomous, matching the sheer shoe's paralyzing tongue. So they brought a bunch of different things together. I like the sheer shoe vision. That's really, like, the way they represent the, because mm. you can't experience it's really tough to represent smell in a visual yeah. medium i like adding the colors yeah and to delineate who is who yeah when they show all the different scents in the area and, and picking out the right one mm-hmm. i like uh and so this sheer shoe in particular uh the name is nyla and they are semi-domesticated I like how it points that out that they're that Nyla is semi domesticated, not fully, but I think June is semi domesticated as well. So um, Nyla and June had been together for over seventeen years. June acquired Nyla from her father when he received him as a payment for a bounty he had collected while working for a rare animal collector. I think the Shearshoe is such an interesting creature to add to the Avatar world because it is unique to the avatar world it is this wild combination but it's something that you look at it and that is not something that looks like anything out here like you know the turkey the turkey ducks like you can see it a little bit and the lemur you can see it i think creatures like appa as the flying bison and uh the sheer shoe really lead itself to how far down the rabbit hole of mutations can we get? Oh, so you must really love the canyon crawler then. I do find the canyon crawlers fascinating. I'm just going to keep getting nice things about that episode out of you. <laughs> it's not like the most, it's, it was creative, but this, this really shows how you can take three different animals and create something brand new. Mm. Yeah. Which I find really, really interesting. Yeah, I like Nyla. Just the, the, the sheer shoe snout. It unsettles me. It is a little unsettling, but I think it's supposed to be. Too many fleshy appendages. I think it's supposed to be, though, and I like that about the sheer shoe. I like that about Nyla. And she, it's so strong and everything. I want to bring up one more animal fact, which is Appa this episode. Appa is in an active combat scene this episode and uses ramming speed and is an active part of the battle and that's one of the first times that we really see that Papa fights fiercely yes yes like ramming speed and like will not go down so um the uh venom is you know uh, proportional to size so it takes a few it takes a few licks from Nyla to bring Appa down, but Appa fights it the entire way. Yeah. It makes me feel like I've underestimated Appa up until this moment of like, Appa could have been fighting. Like they had this, you know, serious weapon this whole time. Other other groups are lucky that Appa decided, nah, they got this. That's what I felt from this. That they were very lucky that Appa was like, "I'm gonna take a nap today." I think, I think the little, I think the little bald guys got this one. Like, <laughs> I feel like 
pirates lucked out. I feel like a lot of people lucked out because Appa was like, I'm going to sit this one out. That's a good point, because that means that from Appa's perspective, the, the sheer shoe represents a significant threat mm. for this to be the first time that he steps in. Exactly. Ooh, I like that. That kind of, that, that builds up the sheer shoe. That's more. It builds up the tension. More of a badass. Yeah. I honestly felt that Appa fighting really built up the tension at the battle at the end. You want to talk more about the battle at the end? I want to say who my favorite was from this episode, and then I'll talk more about the battle at the end. Okay, so say who your favorite was, and then we'll do the battle at the end. All right, I think the winner of this episode, straight up Miyuki for being, you know, like, a, you know, a true patriot and taking on the Fire Nation again. And I'm going to say it's it's Nyla, it's the Shirshu. To the battle at the end! Battle at the end! <laughs> This is a good battle. This is such a good battle. This is Aang and Zuko meeting again for the first time since Blue Spirit. <gasps> when Aang realizes it is Zuko who is after them, he does this squint and he just goes, Zuko. And I don't think. We've heard him heard him speak about Zuko like that up until then. Before it's just been, oh, Zuko's following us. Zuko's Zuko's trying to catch up. This is like eyes narrow focused Zuko. I am going to fight you. Who from Aang's perspective, Zuko is the villain. Yes. It's now solidified for him. It's personal. Yes. The last interaction they had, Aang was reaching his hand out, saying, give me some, give me a reason to be hopeful about you as a person. Mm-hmm. And he got a fireball to the face. And this, I love, Aang has a temper, and Aang holds a grudge. As much as he's all like, yeah. peace and harmony, No. You mess with Aang in certain ways, and he will hold that grudge. Yeah. I, I got a lot of the energy from the Blue Spirit battle in this battle between Zuko and, and Aang. They, the way they fight each other, they're still, like, we, we talked about it during Blue Spirit, how they fought as one. They're still fighting as one. They're mm-hmm. just fighting each other as one. Yes. It's, they're dancing with each other. It's They know each other so well and so deeply. It seems like, it seems like now, now our protagonist and our antagonist know each other enough that it is this um, intensely personal battle. It's intimate almost. Yeah. You know, you don't see everything else going on around them. I mean, you, you, I think you would very much just narrow straight in on them if it wasn't for that big battle of Appa and Nyla in the background, too. You'd just forget about the world because that's what they're doing. They're forgetting about everyone else around them. Zuko, Ira was a thing of the past to Zuko in this moment. All he can see is Aang, and all Aang can see is Zuko. They're fighting. The whole war. Right here. On this well. <laughs> can can we just talk about when Aang jumps into the well? <gasps> Beautiful. I would not think this is a place an airbender would want to be fighting, would choose to fight. Like, you think airbender, you want to fight in a big open space. But he's not just an airbender anymore. He is also a waterbender. But he doesn't that is- use the water from the well. He doesn't? Does he? Yes, he pulls, uh, he drops into the well and he pulls up all the water, blowing Zuko away. But just, just the way he moves in this little confined space. But the thing is, he moves Zuko to over this well. And Zuko is not aware that he has now gotten a handle on waterbending. That is the upper hand that Aang has. So he leads him over there. And he drops in, and Zuko, for a second, thinks he has it. And then that water comes shooting up, and it just shows that Zuko is outmatched. He underestimated his enemy. 
because he was not aware that the avatar had taken on another bending form. Yes, but when they were strictly hand-to-hand, it was an even fight. Yes. I don't even have any more to say or argue there. I just, I love how even it was when they were strictly (laughs) hand-to-hand. It was. Because in the past, it hasn't been. It was. But again, Zuko hasn't seen him waterbend. He hasn't. I don't think so. So it's it's a surprise to him that it comes shooting up that fast, especially even if even if he he thinks, oh, he's been trying to learn to waterbend since he's met that waterbender. That's been, like we said, not much time. And he manages to, with great force, send that water up out of the well. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. It's so beautiful. And also here is uh, Sokka thinking outside the box of how are we going to get this done in the end. And it's the perfume. Which Iroh also noticed. Yes. Yes. I totally forgot what, uh, <laughs> how this whole thing is resolved because I was so focused on like, these are intense battles. Who's going to win? And no one technically wins. Yeah. No one technically wins. Everybody Sokka, loses. Just, Sokka just says, all right, it's a tie. Let's get out of here. <laughs> and pours the perfume to, to fight another day, to fight that fight another day. I felt bad for the nuns at one point because Nyla had crashed down the doors and then left. And then they... I don't know if you saw when before Nyla crashed down the doors a second time, they had put them up and you can see like the little patchwork of like trying to fix the doors. And then Nyla just goes barreling on through the doors again. <laughs> I felt a little bad for those nuns. <laughs> I didn't feel bad for the nuns because they were kind of rude earlier in the episode all over the episode. How so? They just seemed so snippy to Aang. Oh. And yeah, he's. He's not being the best this episode. No, he's not. He's a kid. I don't have to be all snippy to the kid. I want to know more about that messenger. Like, he did not appear, like, from Water Tribe. He's Earth Nation. Yeah. He's, he's, he's Earth Kingdom. He's, he's got the armor on and the garb and the hat yeah. and he's riding the ostrich. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. Earth Kingdom thing to do. Yeah. Ostrich horse. But, like, and I know I... I gave Aang a bit of crap about opening other people's mail, but, like, what sort of post worker is like, oh, you <laughs> you know this guy, okay, here's his mail. He's like, eh, close enough. Like, dude, we're in a war. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I have issues with the Earth Kingdom post service. <laughs> Not how I would run that department. You're right, though, we didn't really talk about Katara much this episode. Oh! <gasps> We missed something. This is the return of Katara's necklace. The whole thing that brings Zuko to to Aang and to Katara and Sokka is that he still has her necklace. And Aang, that whole battle, there's that moment where Aang looks and sees the necklace on Zuko's person and where he scoops it up in the in the battle. And once he has that necklace, I feel like he's like, I'm done here. I'm done trifling with you, sir. Time to go. Time to go. Gotta get this to the girl I like and see if it makes her happy. She's currently trying to, you know, she's paralyzed right now from, you know, you're being licked by a by a gigantic sheer shoe. But, you know, but maybe she'll be happy. And she is. That's such a playful scene at the end. I like it so much. Oh, it's so cute. It's so cute. And it's very much, for me, it very much represents the feel-good Avatar episodes that I love. Of just that, it's it feels like a little button on the end of the episode. It's like a cute musical theater button at the end of the song. That's what I feel when they have those, you know, riding off into the sunset and cute little joke with each other. I love that. Well, of course you do. The kalimba plays. And the kalimba plays, it yes. It makes you feel good. It makes you feel warm and fuzzy. Exactly. But even just the little, like, little bit of laughter between each other as they're going, because, you know, no matter what they just went through, they're there for each other. And they're going to be together. And, like, they didn't, they weren't splitting up. And it's really sweet. And also after last week seeing Aang have a 
chance where like he's really smooth and really cool. Yes, he is. And he and Katara are pretty flirtatious in this scene. I love that she gives it back to him of like, oh, well, can you pass along a kiss to Zuko then <laughs> for returning it? And it's because he's not like, not that he's not putting effort in, but he's not trying. Mm-hmm. He's just getting out of his own way and being himself. He's not like, so papaya. But it's just, it's so nice to have such a playful, wholesome, like, even if, even though it is a little flirtatious moment, like, that nice, happy cinnamon roll moment, especially after, like, the angstiness of, she doesn't like me the way I like her. To have just pure, genuine, even and even if it needs to be platonic for now, love. I'll let you do your thing. Oh, right. <laughs> the thing. Uh, let me... Colton, do the thing! Thank you for listening to The Pie Show. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can find our show notes at thepieshow.fm slash 15. If you'd like to reach us, you can send us a tweet at thepieshow or email us at thepieshowpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, email us. Let us know. Is June also your dream girl? <laughs> she is mine. I think... I think I'm going to throw this in the post show because it's like, I have a question for you, but it pertains to like big major spoiler for the entire show. So I know we have a couple of listeners who are on their first watch. If you are one of those listeners, this show is now over for you. Please do not listen to this (laughs) post show. Please just, just turn it off, walk away, go get a snack, do something else, anything else. Listen to a different show. This is not for you. I'm sorry. Come back after you finish the show and rewatch this episode and join the conversation. But just. But for the rewatch podcasters. For the which rewatchers. Is, which is what we are. Go ahead. Give me your when question. When Zuko and Aang start fighting in the, in the little square there, they attack each other and there's this big explosion. But right before they attack each other, there's this single frame that looks like the dragon dance. Yes. Yes, especially because before that they were moving kind of circular towards each other and around each other and, and around each mirrors other of each other. And, and like, then they both clash and the colors go up and they and it's the oof. red and the blue, red and, and the blue. You saw this, too, right? It's, it's yes. the dragon dance. Yes, I they did. do the dragon dance before any of that ever comes up. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. That was so satisfying. And they're so in sync with each other and we saw that in blue spirit and like like you mentioned that soulmate theory like they there is something that is tying them together might be destiny who knows could be a little thing called destiny they could just be cosmically linked it doesn't have to be destiny who says cosmically linked is different than destiny it could be could I be don't know. <laughs> we'll find out but i think it's something more I, and I, I think we're led to believe it is something more than just both their duties lead them to the same place. I think there's something more that draws them to each other. 